what's up? Is this RV in it? Episode four of Lore Dump started now. Started 30 seconds Ooh. ago. Is this episode four of Lore Dump? <laughs> Whoa. I haven't heard that one yet. Puberty. It's oh, good to that's see our you. big fan. That's that's uh, Philip, our big fan. Philip hasn't gone through puberty yet. Oh no, I haven't reached puberty yet. Oh, Mr. Shaker Dance, um, uh, can I go outside, please? <laughs> no, Who Philip. the fuck is that guy? That's Philip. <laughs> don't look at no, don't don't you look at him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Uh... Hey, hey, welcome to episode four of Lord Up. We just had a whole intro section that was definitely cut and put at the end for your entertainment. So be sure to listen to the end, I guess. It was a 10 out of 10 intro. Best intro you've ever heard. I definitely gutted that thing and left it on the floor. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. What's your name? My name? Well, my name's Mr. Shickadance. I am a person. What's your name? I'm the governor, a.k.a. Josh. Or the Yeah, I didn't say my real name. I like my real name, but my name's Sean. (laughs) Don't call me Mr. Shikadance if you ever see me. I'm going to be mad. Hey, Mr. Shikadance. It's good to see you. Josh, what did I just say? I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. What did I just say? The six of Nar. <laughs> Welcome Ooh. to Lordum. Ooh. A show where we build a world before your very ears. That's true. That is what we yes. do. It's pretty... You're, oh, yeah, because we're a podcast. It's That's a podcast. Our, I got, we can see each other because we're on Discord, but this is a podcast, Joshua. I, I got there. So they can't see me staring longingly into your eyes right now? No, because they'd be distracted by your eyes They're very staring pretty. into mine. I have very pretty eyes. <laughs> it's true. What so, we, so, 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 hey, guess so, what? Here's the thing that Lore Dump does. If you have questions about homebrewing, you can bring those questions to us. Send what? them. Yeah. You, we have an email account, Sean. Get right the fuck out of town, you lying sack of shit. <laughs> there's no way, there's no way anyone could just send in a question to this show and have it read on the show and answered on the show. Well, well, sir, I, I, I'm here to tell you that there, in fact, is a way. I'm going to oh, blow oh, your mind. Oh, just, oh, go ahead and okay. blow my mind, okay. science man. Prepare. Prepare yourself. Hold on. All right. Hold, hold on, on your wait. britches. Hold on. Hold on. I'm preparing. Are your britches right, held on to? All right. Okay. Tell me okay. how to do my britches. Okay. Right, <laughs> you can send emails to loredumpquestions at gmail.com. Oh, you're, you're lying. I'm not lying. You're lying. You've lied to me. My good friend, Mr. Shikadance. He likes it when I'll people call you. him that on the street. Um. <laughs> He set up this email account for you to send in questions, sir. Okay, okay, wise guy. Let's say I was someone who didn't have a fancy computer. All I got is my cellular phone with all my social medias on it. All you, my favorite ones. Do you know what like Twitter Instagram is? Like Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, do you know what Le- Twitter Le- Instagram? You, yeah. you tell me what I could do there. Well, sir. Well, good sir. Kindly sir. Kindly sir. Wonderful, brilliant sir. You can send, or you can look us up at at the lore dump to get a hold of us and send us your questions that way through Instagram or Twitter. I'm I've become appeased. You're you've appeased. Won me over. I'm I will, I'm so glad. I hope you're a return I will customer. I always watch your show. It's my favorite show. I was testing you and you passed. Thank you. We usually blow through this and this bit has been 4 minutes long. <laughs> I'm Philip's dad. <laughs> Hi Philip's dad. Good to see you. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so, this is the first of our uh, hopefully regular episodes from here on out. We're going to split it up into two sections. The second half being the 
audience participation portion we've been mentioning for three episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first half is going to be us continuing to build our already established yet-to-be-named world by our audience. So be sure to send in those. Well, technically we named the world, well. but everything else. No, we didn't. Toreg. Oh, shit, we did. I meant the continent. <laughs> God, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> yeah, so be sure to send in your submissions for the continent name as well as the name of all the gods, because we didn't come up with those either. Mm-hmm. Episode two, three, full of good stuff, full of good homebrew, uh, number one as well. But two and three, we ask you to help well, us well, name. Number one is trash. I hated yeah. that. <laughs> all the other ones were good. Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> all right. So what should we talk about today on this episode, Joshua? Well, you know, in episode two, just dropped something on the floor and it made a ton of noise. In episode two, we talked about uh, this dragon. It lived on top of the pillars. It was essentially a dragon that was placed on this planet as a demigod to control the tempests and the storms. Yes, we touched on that on episode three. Yes. Seriously, if you're not listening to the old episodes, I don't know why you're still listening to this. Yeah. Trust me, it's downhill. The other episodes are much better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We peaked at one and went down straight away. Start there. (laughs) <laughs> best review so this dragon this dragon that lives atop the pillars that is a demigod what what does it have what kind of dragon is it is it a gold dragon is it a blue dragon well, I think, what what is it josh i think it needs to be an ancient dragon or an more ancient because we want this thing to be powerful demigod like big end boss we're, we're essentially creating a kind of god 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 so it's a, not just a regular dragon it's no. Something else. I like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's beyond ancient? Eternal. If... Sorry. Eternal? I'm going to pose a okay. question. Okay, to... okay. let's see. Let's it's see a it. poll of one. It's a poll of just you. Your answer decides. The it. only answer that matters. Eternal or ascendant? Ascendant. Ascendant? Yeah. Okay. Ascendant dragon is. 100%. Yeah. It's ascendant. <laughs> I feel like you're fucking with me and I don't appreciate it. No, I genuinely it. do like the name. Okay, okay. So we're now canon. There is a step beyond uh, ancient dragon in our world, which is ascendant dragon. Oh, that's true. I like it. I like and that it. is like a demigod dragon. Yes. That's a good clarity. Possibly failing to do the ascension results in a dracolich. We can talk later. Oh, 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 I like that. Yes, please. Okay. Give yes, it to yes, me yes, now. Yes. Not yes, later yes, yes. now. All right, so this 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 demigod, what's its what's its whole deal? What's its business? How many of each type of dragon? Like, let's say this thing is. Let's say we're sticking with chromatics and metallics. How many of of is it one chromatic dragon that can be ascendant, or is it multiple, or is it one of each color of chromatic? Let's let's get our taxonomy figured out. If we're if here's we're doing the this. thing, my personal view on dragons. Okay, becoming an ancient dragon mm-hmm. is incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. I think. Yes. So, having more than one ascend is probably also going to be incredibly rare. Improbable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say it, it's not that there's a limit on it, but I would say that it is nigh impossible to do okay i like that so this is yeah this is the crowning pinnacle this is you are no longer this is the just tip of the an immortal fire breathing beast you are now basically in control of 
components of reality mm-hmm. because you're yes. a god. Mm. So that that sort of that regional effect that all dragons have, their layers extend out to a certain space. You know, ice dragons make everything cold. Fire dragons make everything like a volcano area or a mm-hmm. desert. Um, I think that is something they are able to do on a grand scale. Like globe. Where they almost terraform like continents to be their their domains. I like that. You know why you like it? Why? Because it fits into the already existing lore. Mm-hmm. It does. See that? Terraforming dragons is the shit. So, this dragon, when these uh, aforementioned dwarf settlers were sort of coming to this new land, it had already sort of terraformed the entire continent to its own will, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, making the Belowlands a, a sort of hellscape of storm and rain and whatever it sort of wanted it to be. Shitty weather. Bad stuff. Tempest weather. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay, I think okay. that is cool. I like that a lot. I like I love that concept. And like we could have like a a dra- and I don't know if it, we have this many ancient or ascendant dragons, but we could have dragons affiliated with terraforming on other continents too. There's a possibility there. Oh, fully. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay, so what color dragon is this? Is it is it a colored dragon? Like what what's hmm. I like the idea of not escaping like chromat or metallic. But the idea that it, it's no longer one of the colors. So it's chromatic or an ancient, just ancient chromatic dragon with no, yes. or an ancient metallic. It's an ancient dragon. chromat or an ancient metallic. Mm, that's good. That's good. So once you trans ascend, excuse me, you no longer affiliate with a direct color. You just are ascendant. Yeah. Within chromatic or metallic, depending upon. Yes, depending on. I like yeah. that. That's good. Which makes all cool. other chromatics kind of deferential to you, in a way. Not, like, structurally, yeah. but... Well, it's going to make all the chromats jealous to no end. Oh, right, because they, they're they greedy sons of guns. Those Yeah, they the... suck, dude. Okay. So, we've got this ascendant chromatic dragon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lived on top of a mountain. Was whole there, life, the whole life. Was there to terraform that continent or decided to based on its own free well, I guess will just the presence of it's like by nature of its being it sort of changes the environment not necessarily like forces it to change but it can also like force aspects of it right. to act it can do it can bend it against its will or or bend it with its will or just things happen yes it's a force of nature in and of itself but it also controls its force pretty much yeah. hmm. okay so how about this? Let's start baseline. Where on our world did dragons come from? Let's answer that question. Okay, well, you said they're terraformers. The individual who crossed from the beyond over and dropped, per episode three, dropped our elves, as the first sentient race on the planet, had begun, in a, in a way, terraforming in and of itself by forming the land masses. But what if it yeah. also did place the dragons? The, it placed the dragons? The ascendant dragons. It placed the ascendant ones. To terraform. And all hmm. other dragons are actually deformed variants of the ascendant dragons. Dragons that don't have that celestial connection or 
deetic connection. So the ones that aren't part of this uh, direct connection were like all the colors, the chromats, the metallics, all sort of branched off of these first two metallic and chromatic mm-hmm. ascendant ones. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Could be so. Okay. Like that. Now, do those two entities still exist? Well, the established one of them does for sure. Are they? Are those the demigods that are the only two of those kind? They could be. I mean, interesting conflict there. It's up to us. I can't decide. There's so many options if you look at it either way. Like my yeah. mind is projecting down both pathways, where it's like we could have like a Bahamut Tiamat kind of thing going on, or we yeah. could have like. But I don't know if we want to do that, right? So maybe we do. I have... don't think we need to do that. Yeah. I like the idea of it being like not like a thing that's passed down. But it's something where uh, eventually one of the ancient dragons like finds out there used to be one of these ascendants. And becomes one. And it attempts to become one. Mm, okay, okay. So the ascendants started it, but the ascendants essentially died out or passed on or, or moved on or whatever, leaving mm-hmm. the other dragons behind. And then an ancient dragon reascended or attempted to reascend. Yes. Okay. And this storm dragon is one of those ancients that tried to reascend. Uh, yes. Okay. I know we've been back and forth a lot about this. Mm-hmm. This is complicated. What if, what if the only... Okay, so you know how we said all chromats were one and all um, metallics were one when they ascend? Mm-hmm. What if it's just those two that were all colors right but when a blue dragon ascends it becomes the storm dragon okay so those two progenitor dragons were progenitor dragons that's a really good term for it okay those progenitor dragons birthed or whatever these all these other types of dragons Mm -hmm. in the various chromatic and metallic colors and then those as they grew the ones that made it to ancient and then ascended Mm mm-hmm became each each one has like, like a, its own element that becomes something else when it ascends like the lightning breath becomes a storm dragon or you know that's good that's good yeah okay one other line of thought just to consider okay. I'm, I'm sorry sure. flipping it on its head the elves were put on the planet as sentient life what if the mm-hmm. dragons were put on the planet as sentient life, but they were not limited in their capabilities? And so they began to follow this path of ascendancy over thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. And the gods didn't realize until it was too late when these ones ascended that they had essentially created creatures that could become deities in and of themselves. Because the architect that we've kind of discussed as this person who maps out the capabilities and the lifespans of the sentient races was formed after dragons formed after dragons were made and dragons are another accident i like it we could do that i like that better me too it like they seeded elves and dragons on this planet and the dragons had no limitations like from the elements of this planet that he was making he drew forth each dragon 
mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. storms that were sort of brewing in this atmosphere. He pulled from that blue dragons and, you know, copper or whatever the fuck the metal one is. I don't even know. The mantle no one, for reds no and stuff those. like that. Yeah. 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 I like that better. That's better. We're reworking the whole thing. Yeah, sorry guys. Hey, sometimes this happens. Like, welcome to Creation requires destruction, everybody. That's your tip for this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Also, your tip for our last episode stands, this planet fucks. This planet fucks hard. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Okay, so we have our (laughs) beginning point for dragons. Okay. We have an essential or an eventual ascension point for dragons. Mm-hmm. Something that they're all possibly aiming for is to, you know, learn the old ways that these ones once apparently did. Mm-hmm. So they accomplished it, and then there was a almost a demigod dragon that challenged the mm-hmm. the force of these gods, and I like I'm it. assuming was immediately got his ass kicked yeah i got slapped down <laughs> okay. get right. back on the ground it's like Dead. a mosquito that has malaria but we yes. have nets so <laughs> so tough cookies okay so i like that we've got this formation lore so let's refocus back on our tempest dragon our ascendant okay. tempest dragon is sitting on this mountain he re- he recalls the tales of his ancestors who rivaled the gods and he <laughs> has made his own domain here and is eventually challenged by these dwarves but in the meantime what are this creature's abilities we're we're gonna take an ancient dragon stat block right and we're gonna make it even better we're gonna beef it up a bit we're gonna beef up the stat block is tmi canonically in our world no no let's get rid let's do away with that let's do away with tiamat yeah okay can't believe you're gonna do all dragonborns like that well no you're fine fuck <laughs> I okay. mean, do you, do you do you really want Tiamat? No, I just think it's a cool creature. I, it is a cool creature. The, it's the strongest single creature in D anD D fifth edition. That's the only reason I didn't want to exclude it. Counterpoint: Tiamat as a lore creature doesn't have to exist. But lore as, creature doesn't exist. I yeah. you could make it into something else. You are correct. Yeah. Yes, like I agree maybe two ascendant dragons fuck and Tiamat happens. Oh no! The Draconic Sixty Nine. Mm-hmm. Oh no! <laughs> I heard rumors. Okay, let's beef this. This we blue said dragon. this planet fuck. So <laughs> let's know. beef this old dragon up with some good god stats. What okay. do you got for me? So ancient blue dragon, gargantuan dragon, a lawful evil. The armor class on this creature is twenty two. Has natural armor, obviously. The average hit points on this beastie is 481. It's mm-hmm. basically 2060 20s plus 208. So it's 208 base plus that that rolled amount. But let's let's just work with an average, right? Like 481 okay. is a good average. That's a big old chunk of hit points. But maybe it's we can do some big old chunks. Yeah. Speed's 40 feet. It's got a burrow of 40 feet and a fly of 80 feet. Fly's got to be faster. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this thing should go supersonic or something. Okay, well, they still have to be able to fight it. <laughs> right, but I like the idea of it, like, rolling in with a thunder crack as it, like... <laughs> yeah, it rolls in with thunder. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. Okay. So strength on the blue is 29. I think it's 30 on the red, so it's a little less. Dex of 10. Constitution of 27. Intellect of 18. Wisdom of 17. And charisma of 21. It's saving throws are dex plus 7, con plus 15, whiz plus 10, and charisma plus 12. 
Specific skills, perception plus 17, and stealth plus 7. Stealth. Stealth on... on I never really particularly understood that, but okay. Uh, damage immunities or lightning. Duh. Yeah. Senses, blindsight, 60 feet. I think we just upped the range of that. Dark vision, 120 feet. Passive perception of 27. Speaks common and draconic, and its challenge rating is 23. So why don't we start modifying that stat block first? Okay. Uh, and then we can talk first thing about I'm gonna change stuff. challenge rating chuck it out the fucking window don't ever bye use bye. it it's bad no more challenge rating the official creators of this system have come out and said they don't even use CR when they're building encounters so throw it out the window just learn by doing learn by killing your party that's the best way to do it <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say that but there is no good system for CR you heard it there um, from Mr. Shaka Dance. Get your yeah. friends together and kill them. So we're never going to really assign a CR challenge rating to this, mm-hmm. any creature we build, but we should say like recommended level. Yeah, that's fair. A party of four of this level or party of four at level 20 would get killed by this thing. So party of six. Yeah, yeah. Like party that. of six or party of four with legendary items, blah, blah, blah. Yes. That's um, that's the problem. CR it doesn't account for gearing or yeah, it doesn't, environment. It doesn't, it doesn't shift at all. Yeah, and I don't like CR. It's static. It's static. Doesn't really work there. Um. So first thing I would do, higher AC, at, uh-huh. least, 24. at least twenty-four. Um, give it another legendary resistance and another legendary action, so it gets three. I mean, four legendary resistance, uh, four legendary actions. This pen is busted. Oh, wah. <laughs> Quiet, you. Okay. So, <laughs> AC 24. Uh-huh. We're giving it another legendary resistance. So I think four so. four times. Makes sense. Another legendary action. And we're going to we're gonna readjust the legendary actions because the ones for dragons are bad. Okay. Um, um, do we want to, before we get into legendary actions and all of the action economy stuff... Do we want to look at um, immunities, strength, dex, con adjustments? Like, do we want to make I, this thing stronger, faster, smarter? I'm going to add in uh, thunder as an immunity because it's a storm dragon. It shouldn't get hurt by thunder. Okay. And I am going to suggest also, for whatever reason dragons don't already have, resistance to uh, non-magical piercing, slashing, and bludgeoning. Yeah, why is that? Because this game doesn't know anything about its creatures. Resistance. Non-magical. Piercing, blah, 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 blah. Piercing exception. Yes. Okay, that's good. That's a very good shout. It is insane that the ancient dragons do not have resistance to non-magical weapons. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, other resistances, ice for storms. I would say cold. Like sleet, cold snow, is probably yeah, a cold good damage. call. It doesn't need immunity, but I feel like it shouldn't be being hit hard by like, you know. What if we did this? Condition immunities prone. Condition. Ooh, yeah. Can't be knocked that's good. prone. Because. Again, I know there are 
I know a lot of things say you can't knock over a gargantuan creature, but that's specific to... A lot of things don't say that. Uh, yeah, a lot of things don't. So like a I, Warlock's I Eldritch Smite, which is fucking dumb. Silly. I'm going to knock Tiamat prone for free. Prone. Okay. So, I like that. That removes a lot of people forcing advantage on this creature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um... It's got to have a breath. A breath weapon's good. Yeah. I think we bump up the lightning breath when we get into action. Economy. Do we give it an additional breath weapon choice? Because I yes. know the ancient gold has two. has two. It has like a weakening breath and a fire, fire breath. breath. I think it needs two. But before we do that, this thing has a dex of 10. I don't think that's right. Uh, the dex should be a little big. higher. I think it needs to be like... So I'm gonna say. I know it's not gonna play yes. huge into it, but for saving throws and things like that, like it'd be nice to. This thing is fairly like, at least somewhat quick given its size. Okay, so its let's friends. say this. How about this? Let's go across the stats. Strength gotta be thirty. Yeah, it's yeah. Dex. 100%. What are you looking at? If it, if this thing is as fast as you think it is, what are you saying? Like sixteen. 16. 16 is exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Okay. Constitution, 30. That makes sense. Intelligence. It's a god. Should we put it at 20? I feel like maybe 18 intelligence, but a higher wisdom. I I agree with that. 18 and... Maybe bump that wisdom to 20, though. 20 wisdom? Gotcha. Like, it's seen things it's ascended okay what's its charisma it's force of presence 22 i think 22 is good yeah 22 okay so strength 30 deck 16 con 30 in 18 wisdom 20 charisma 22 okay all right interesting do we give it true sight uh it is a god a demigod i think yes well it has blind sight True sight, I'd say yes, true sight. True sight's in I, there. I know it's a small thing, but true sight, 60 True feet. sight's big. True sight, 60 feet. True sight, 60 feet. Um, okay. I think we should actually make this on D&D Beyond so that people can I, find it if they listen to the episode. We 100% will. We'll put okay. it out there for you. We can do that Perfect. after this. Yes, fully. Hey, guys, uh, this is going to be on D&D Beyond, so check it out. Yeah, we're going to make this on D&D Beyond. <laughs> it's going to be good. So right. do we need to increase the number of dice per attack? Like, do we need to increase the actual damage of the attacks? Or do we need to give it another attack per turn? I always like more attacks as a so dungeon more master. Attacks. Right? How about how about my, my full uh, input on this? I think we leave the damage of the attacks alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, obviously the modifiers go up because its strength went up by one. Yeah. But... The uh, multi-attack is one bite, two claws, one tail. So you can use your tail in that, that on multi-attack. your turn. That's good, rather than using it as a legendary action. Yes. I love that. Okay. Because it's so, hugely... And like, like... So think of like the way that damage hits DMs when you're doing these homebrews. Like, if you're just upping the damage, when it hits, you're cutting this huge chunk out of people in one go. Right. The impact can be far greater if you begin to spread it out a little bit, but there's more opportunity for it. 
So also, having multiple attacks is good. Also, this thing is probably going to be on its own against six mm-hmm. or seven people. You want to have enough actions to be able to justify its existence. So it, I think those four attacks stand correct on their own. These logic, The logic behind these big boss monsters that are on their own, and that's why legendary actions exist as well, is they have to do shit a lot of shit in their own turn and shit between other people's turns because otherwise they are just going to get wiped off the floor. It's the only way to balance the action economy. When you've got a party of six people, it has to happen. How about this as well? Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, frightening presence, yeah. it has some sort of radial aura that is just constant. Ooh, like it's a, like emanating a like aura. this. Yeah. It can even be like lightning damage in this radius. Like at the start of your turn, if you're within a certain amount of, I don't know, distance of this creature, you're going to get hit with some lightning. So Tempest Aura. Tempest Aura. And it's Perfect. A, what's, it, what's can even, the... it can even be, if it's a Tempest Aura, it can even be like a like a wind effect that knocks you prone if you're too close. Mm. Like a constantly swirling, just like wind around this thing that knocks people down. You know I like a creature that gets I know multiple you like. attempts to make prone. Yeah. Because the tail like attack does that, too. The tail has a chance to knock him down. It does not. And then, it doesn't? Oh. No. Oh, the, the wing attack. attack. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of the no. wing attack. But it's essentially like a constant stream of the wing yeah. attack. So you've got the wing attack as a chance, and you've got this constant aura. So you're constantly knocking players down now. Mm-hmm. That's good. Forced advantage. Yeah. I like that. Mm. Okay, so... Tempest Aura, is it a 120-foot aura? Or is it that too much? That's a lot. That's a lot. I'd say within 30 feet, maybe, of this 30 thing. foot? Yeah. Um, strength saving throw? Yes. What's the DC? Because for some reason, the wing attack is dexterity, which makes no fucking sense. It's a strength it's, attack. It's a yeah. strength save. Yeah. Um, the DC... Should it be... 24 strength? Or is that too high? Because a lot I of people don't use strength. High. That's going to be a really... 20 strength? Your casters are pre- pretty much It's a all... god. Although... It's a constant effect, though. Okay. You're right. Yeah. How about but, 18? But, but it's 30 feet. You did limit it down. So it's mostly going to be your melee... Um... Melee strength or yeah. technically dexterity your, users. Your dex fighters and that are going to be... Well, fuck them. But... They're cheating the game anyways. <laughs> 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 okay. So... Let's let's I tell you what, let's cut the middle. Let's make it a twenty two. Twenty two? A strength save of twenty two. Or you're not prone. thirty feet or you're not prone. And that's all it does is knock you prone. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's make it a let's make it so then the monster but has to take advantage. It needs to be at the end of your turn, so you can't say, Okay, I use my movement to get up. To get up. Yes. Yeah. So at the end of your turn you can stand. No, at the end of your turn you make the save to see if you fall down. Oh. If you end your turn within the aura, you could got be it. knocked down. Got it, got it. Yes, that makes sense. DC 22. Good, 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 good. Okay. So it's multi-attack. We've adjusted. It's got four le- legendary resistances a day. Yes, That's really it no good. longer has frightening presence. No more frightening, frightful presence, right? Or does it? Mul- it's Do we kind keep- of iconic. Do we keep the frightening presence, just add in the another aura effect? Do we make the range on the frightful presence a little less no no okay so no because it's already presence. it's already fucking massive okay. okay 
So multi-attack um, immediately triggers Frightful Presence still? Yes. Okay. And then it makes three, four attacks, one with its bite, two with its claws, and one with its tail. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like that. The reaches, when we look at the individual attacks, I think that we've agreed the damage is fine. The hit modifiers just bumped up by the stat changes. The damage types are good. I like that the bite has the lightning damage, just like the the ancient red has the fire damage on the yes. bite. That's good. Um, reach, 15 feet, seems reasonable yep. for all of them, and 20 feet on the tail. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's that's really solid. Yeah. Not huge adjustments that need to be It's made still there. the same kind of size as an ancient blue dragon, but it's just it's gone through some sort of transformation to become more powerful. More powerful. I like it. Um, yeah. Okay, lightning breath. How are we changing its breath? Higher DC. Yeah, I would let's say like twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-six dexterity save. I like that. Yeah, let's let's, let's go. Breath. The dex save makes sense here. Yeah, because you're dodging lightning. Yeah, twenty-six. Um, recharge on five through six seems fair. Five seems through six. Roll. Yeah, that seems fair because that's a lot. No, that's too much damage. Yeah, you would. I will argue against that because that can wipe a party in two turns. And I would say we bump up the damage rather than making it more. Yes, bump up the damage rather than making it more uh, readily available. Oh, and I will say, hold on, there's something we need to consider. This is a line, not a cone. Oh, it is. It's very different in that. Yes, I say we make it a fucking cone. Make it a cone of lightning. Uh huh. Like it's so a ninety foot an, arcing lightning, a ninety foot cone of lightning. Yeah. Okay. Less lightning bolt, more fire breath. I like that. So twenty six save DC, keep the lightning damage, make it a cone. Now, for those of you who are not, we are rattling off a lot of like numbers and technical terms here. I'm gonna really quick say you should probably cut, pull up the character sheet or the monster sheet for an ancient blue da- dragon here. Um, for some of you who are new to homebrewing like we are we are bouncing off a lot of numbers don't be too intimidated by it we have the sheet in front of us um and we know how these creatures work mechanically but one quick tip is just to try out some of these monsters before you put them into your world so you know what they're like sean and i play arenas with our friends where we drop monsters into an arena and fight them to see what they're like we tell them to make broken characters and we put them up against our homebrew monsters and Mm -hmm. we see who comes out standing it's usually a pretty good fight. Yeah, which we will definitely be putting this in an arena fight. Oh, fully, fully, fully. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, okay, and also, if you're you know not familiar with what we're talking about, you can pull up the homebrew monster that we made and put it side by side with the ancient blue dragon to see the differences we've sort of put into there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And these these subtle changes are can be a lot. Again bumping up a dc a few points that's a drastic change for people yes because that's an ability score change of up to four points depending on where you're sitting so think of it like this think of it as we didn't change the dc at all but you were trying to make it with a minus three to your save exactly that's the sort of weight we're putting on that number change Mm -hmm. it's it's hugely impactful yeah okay so our breath weapon has changed into a cone Essentially, the fire breath cone with lightning. Mm-hmm. How much do we up the damage? The base on this is 88. The fire breath is 91 See, on the average. Yeah, we should probably up it a little bit. 
Not too much, because 91 damage is a lot of damage to everybody well, in that cone. I will also say it's lightning damage, which they usually expect to be a line. Yeah. So and there's not a lot of things resistant. Yeah. Well, yeah. More people have fire resistance. Yeah. Like tieflings like, and shit. Yeah, racially. What have we um, made it the same as the fire? Made it a 91? But in a I cone. think that's fine. So 91 average damage. So 91 average damage, or if you want to roll it, that's 26 D6. Yeah. That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of damage for lightning. 26 D6. Yeah. Uh, they get to make saving throw, obviously, it's half damage, all that jazz. Do we add any other effects to this? I was going to say add another um, breath weapon. Right, right, that's right. I was going to say a thunder weapon, like a thunder breath. Or so like, like a, a shout. Thunder roar. Thunderous like Roar that. or something like that. That also recharges on a... Whenever it gets its breath weapon back, it recharges both of them, and it can use one and expend it. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. So, so it gains it gains both of them back, but if it uses either of them, it has to recharge both. It's on the same cooldown. Yes. Um, I was thinking, like, almost like a push, like a Fusro Da. That's... I said like shout, throwing like them a, and having them take like bludgeoning damage. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, uh, Constitution saving throw. Um, Constitution. Yes. I will say yes because we wanted. I was gonna say strength, but that's already on the um the wind. So I yeah. think having another stat. This Very thing wants idea. to be like varied in the stats it wants you to do. I, mm -hmm. I like that they, constitution. Yeah, they can't weight it against you. You can pick your targets pretty well. Yeah. And, and yes. Spread out against the party. Yeah, and like Thunder Wave I think is also a constitution save. This is the same thing on a grander scale. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, so constitution saving throw. DC... I will say we'll do less damage though. Yeah, a lot less damage I think. Because it's like, it's more like being buffeted backwards by a yell. Yes. Is this also a cone? Yes. Okay. But maybe not as wide. So... 40? 60 foot? 60 foot? Okay. 60 foot cone. Con save. Yes. 60 foot cone. What's the DC? 20? 22? Um, same DC. So 26? Yeah, constitution. 26 con. Okay. You 60 fucking foot hit cone. It. If they fail, how far back do they get pushed? 30 feet. 30 foot back, and how much damage? Less, Way less damage, I think, because it's moving them. Like an average of 30? Um, let's say... Yeah, let's do like... 30 sounds good. 30 average. I don't know how many D6s that is, but it's... We'll something. do the dice math and put it in the character sheet on D&D Beyond, but average of around 30. 60 tenths. However close we can get it. You know how they get those averages? How? So you see how it says like 16 D10? Yeah. That is it rowing, rolling above average and below average consecutively until you reach all D10s. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's, I think it's... One on a five, it's like a 5 and a 4. Right. Or a six and a five. Six and a five, back and forth. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 
Very interesting. So, a little homebrewing tip for you people at home. Ooh. There you go. That's now how they get I, the dice learnings. <laughs> okay, so uh, fail pushback 30 feet. They take 30 damage. Pass, no pushback. Pass, no pushback, and half damage. Perfect. Well, hmm. I think that's fair. It just seems weird to, on a save from one of this creature's attacks, you would only take 15 points of damage. But it is just a damage. shout, so actually that does track. Well, we don't want it to be so weak that it won't get used over the lightning breath. Well, no one is really making a six a 26 constitution save. Not yes. unless they're a spellcaster who hyper-focuses right. on concentration spells or That's a barbarian. True. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. And if Plus, they do, like if you, good on them. it's environmental. Like, let's say you've got them on a ledge. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's cr- cr- like massively important. That's for falling everyone. damage, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. For how long they fall. Yeah. Okay. All right. That okay. means we're on legendary actions. Legendary actions is a big one. So the default blue gets three. We've upped that to four legendary actions. Okay. Returned beginning of their next turn or the turn right obviously start of the turn they get them all back i hate detect detect is fucking dumb detect especially on a dragon that's got blind sight and now we've just given it true sight yeah and a passive perception of 27 probably yeah. more once we raise its thing to 20 i don't even think it needs to be on the monster sheet just no i detect delete no it. no more detect fully delete that that's gone it's a wasted it doesn't um, make sense i like bite one legendary action for a bite. Okay. And just one bite attack. Yes. That's fair. Because bite is its big. <laughs> yeah. Nom nom. And it does that lightning damage again. Yeah. Um, now, here's the thing that I don't like about bite being a legendary action. Is it can do it four times in the span of one turn. Or one which round. Which is a lot of damage. That's a fuck ton of damage. That may be why the tail attack was... Should we limit it to the fact that once it's used, one of its legendary actions, it can't repeat the same one? I think we might have to. That's... I mean, that does... I get bite, claw, claw, tail. If he used all four of those. Yeah, because gods, that's a lot of... It's a lot of damage. That's a lot of damage if you used your bite. Again and again and again. That's 2d10 plus 9 plus 2d10 lightning damage. That's a lot of damage. That's... Potentially 40 damage, or 49 damage. And it's at 15 feet, so it's they, they can get out. To, they're so big. Yeah, there's, okay, I, I think that makes sense. So your bite attack, um, you can what use if, a, one how legendary about this? action. What if we put claws there instead of bite? Because bite is, as you said, very powerful. I like the idea that the claws are faster and able to move around with more ease than the head is. If we do claws, can we do both claws for one legendary action so two claw attacks because it's only two targets plus nine different targets different targets okay oh it's not it's nowhere near the damage that comes out of bite i mean yeah 16 damage but that's twice to one person potentially which is a lot yeah so that's 32 damage to one person for one legendary action? Yeah, that is a lot. That's a lot. That's a hell of a lot. It's a plus six. Well, it's a plus more than 16 to hit. Maybe the maybe they've really got it right with the tail attack. Well, 
Well, it Teltech's more. Being able to do that for it's still as good as both. Claw, well, one again claw. And again and again. I say one claw for one legendary action isn't that bad of a trade off. Okay. One claw. So claw. Yeah. One. One and claw. Then you can stack them. I do like being able to move as a legendary action. That is invaluable to these types of creatures. <laughs> That's true. Um, especially being able to get away without attacks of opportunity is crucial. So what so, if we said like two two legendary actions and it can sort of attempt to um, just move without opportunity attacks. Okay. Two legendary actions moves its full movement without opportunity attacks. Not its full movement. How much movement? Uh, half its movement. Because I think that's what wing attack is. Fly up to half its flying speed. Mm. Wing attack is just fifty. Any creature within fifteen feet. Yes, but then it's. Oh, you mean the wing the, attack for the other monsters? Yeah, it can. It can move. The last oh, sentence yeah, is it can, can move up to half, to half its, its flying, flying speed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I think that is good for like a repositioning type thing. Mm -hmm. So what if we kept wing attack? Do we need the move ability then? Well, I think the move ability should remain the wing attack. Okay, yeah, that's good then. Yeah, I like that. I like the wing attack. I just, you know. So wing attack we keep. So we've got the tail attack, we've got the wing attack. No, we got the claw attack, we got the wing Sorry, attack. Sorry, we've got the claw attack, we've got the wing attack. Yeah. What else are we adding? We've got two um, more. I almost want this thing to be able to shoot lightning at people for its legendary actions. Not a lot of lightning, but just but like have an arc come off its body. So is it like an arc lightning spell where it bounces from target to target? No, no, not like change lightning. Just like Chain a single target takes like 3d6 lightning damage. Okay. Or like, you know, roll a save or you get hit with 3 or 4d6 lightning damage. Okay. Not a shit that, ton, I but enough to be like a jolt. I think let's make it a, a ranged attack. Sure. On hit. Makes sense to me. So lightning attack that's an on hit plus 16. Yeah. 3d6 attack. Like a tempest jolt. Tempest bolt. Sure. There we go. Okay. One more. One more? We need four? Um, Do we or three? We've given them four, I know. No, we have three. We have claw attack, well, we've, sorry, lightning we've given jump, four that wing. he can do. I know we well, can use some of them multiply. That but... means he can use all of them in one turn. He can use the wing attack, a claw, and a lightning bolt if he wants in to go one full. Turn. That's yeah. true. Okay, let's leave it at three. Three's plenty, but especially given the different breaths and stuff. Yeah. Hit points. We actually haven't talked hit points. Um. He's got a big old honking mess of hit points. Dump an extra 120 on there. We're done. So he, so you're <laughs> okay, so basically so 600, 600 hit points. Pretty much. So, question for you. Yeah. In Mythic Tales of Theros, they do interesting things with hit points with their mythic monsters. They do. They Do, do we want to consider that? I, You've think... run, I haven't run a mythic monster yet. You have. So, I don't think mythic... I don't think this thing should be a mythic creature. Okay. I think keeping it a legendary creature with its increased legendary actions is good. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it, exploring mythic creatures in the future would be amazing. 
-hmm. but i think right now for what we have for the ascended dragon i think that's good second question sure spell casting Mm. if it does have spells it's a very limited list yes like two or like it has like one one a day spells and three a day spells one a day spells three day spells yeah i don't again from a fluff perspective a lot of these things would be matched or beaten out by the breath weapon so it's hard to like yeah it's hard to be it would be a backup if you're not getting charges back it would be people leaning on that it's hard to consider a dragon wasting a full turn casting a spell yeah to do you know possibly some damage where it could just fucking rip someone apart so i'm not sure it needs spells and i think spells for these types of dragons can be handled on a dm by dm basis that's fair okay could we give it a legendary action misty step kind of thing (laughs) i just like the idea of it like yeah thunderstepping like that would be really cool Sure. Three, jump out th- of da- three danger. legendary actions. It can thunderstep. I like that. Okay. Okay. That's good. So then thunderstep. Because that's cool. Like I love the idea of like, oh, you've got they've somehow pinned it down, right? Like they've got it cornered or whatever. It can still thunderstep out. Yes. And do some damage on the way out. And then fucking haul ass. Yeah. Because you've also then got more escape for this creature, making it more. And of a honestly, challenge. I think that's how it escaped the dwarves. It yes. thunderstepped and just fucking disappeared into the clouds. Mm-hmm. From a lore perspective, that's really good. Yeah. Okay. Those are all the questions I have about our ascendant blue dragon, and we've been at this for a while and probably need to move on to questions. But thoughts? Anything else we need to do? Thoughts? I. I like it. I like the changes we made. Me too. I think it's a it's a good it's a good it's a good basis for a new echelon of dragon. I think. Mm-hmm. And some of them are minor, subtle adjustments, but again, having run two of these very recently, they're not that impressive. This yes. makes them more. Impressive. At level twenty, we sneezed off of ancient gold dragon. Yeah, it was not even the that. gold was useless. The red was scary, but they focused it. Yeah. And even then, it didn't have that much to do. I don't know. It was, it was just not impressive. Yeah, I was rolling poorly all night. We still kicked the shit out of them. Yeah. I didn't even die. No, you were tanky. Yeah. I, I went down, but I did, didn't die, die. Die, die. But yeah, I think I think what we have here is, is good for a step up from the ancients. I like it. Hello there, listener. It's your friendly host, Sean, uh, breaking up the episode to announce that we have actually gone ahead and put this dragon on D&D Beyond. Um, If you search for it, it's called the Ascendant Storm Dragon. We've statted it out the exact way we've talked about in the show, uh, and it should be completely ready for you to terrorize your high-level players with. So if you want to go ahead and check that out, it is on D&D Beyond. All you have to do is search Homebrew for the Ascendant Storm Dragon. Uh, We really appreciate you guys listening. The launch of this podcast has been amazing to watch, and uh, we will be putting out more content on D&D Beyond as we go forward, as well as looking out 
how to put the world out for you guys to actually pull from if you want to. So be on the lookout for that. Anyways, thank you guys again for listening, and let's get right back into audience questions. Bye, everybody! Yeah, that's good. I really do. Okay. That means it's question time, Sean. That means it's audience question time, finally, after what feels like forever. Forever. Mm-hmm. Episode four. Episode four, Forever. Four. All right, Josh. Questions. Do you have our first question or do I? I I do. I have it. I have it. I'm going to ask it of you You now. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Hey, Sean. What's up? How do you choose between sandbox or railroad style adventures for a homebrew? And how would it change how you build your world or not? How do you choose between sandbox and railroad style? Consider this from a beginner's. Let's define sandbox and railroad. For, for people who have never never experienced that that concept. Okay, so railroading is when basically the players are on like a rail at an amusement park almost because I've been watching a lot of roller coaster and amusement park ride videos as Josh knows recently. Uh, <laughs> it's scary, guys. It's an obsession. Somebody send help. It's bad. Uh, today I was watching Hong Kong videos. Anyways, <laughs> you're on a set path. You cannot deviate from that path. Your your character has no uh, sort of free will to dictate its own course of action. That's what on like a railroading style means. Basically, uh, some some things to let you know you're in a railroad campaign is if you try and deviate and some like literally something comes out of nowhere or there's some rule that doesn't make sense that says you can't do it. Um, but it's totally within all the rules of the book. Your DM just seems to be making stuff up. That is a uh, hint that you're in a railroady type campaign. Uh, Picture whereas... a hallway with no doors, and there's yes. things sprinkled down the hallway as you walk down it, but you can't walk out of the hallway. You're in the yeah. hallway. Well, no, it's more like there's a bunch of doors. And even try, every time you try one, the game's like, oh no, that one's locked. Yeah, and it's magic locked, and there's no door handle. Yeah. <laughs> It tells you to fuck off every time you touch the door handle. Yeah. Whereas Sandbox <laughs> is like Breath of the Wild. It's literally you are dropped in an environment and asked, what would you like to do? And you just have to go and poke things until you find something to do, which sometimes leads to players not knowing what to do. They don't feel like they've been given a direction or they don't feel like they have any purpose in the story. They're just doing things because that's all there is to do there are ways to do both of these things quite badly there are very very bad ways to do both these things and both of them can be in in very invaluable to your dm yeah honestly um and you can use both of them in the same campaign that's the other thing is a lot of the and and that's kind of a little bit the answer to this question right like yes it doesn't have to be one or the other (laughs) yeah um this is this is a question about how do you choose between sandbox and railroad uh, for your adventures that you homebrew, and I would say you should use both when building any adventure. Um, both of them are incredibly powerful tools. So say that your party, you know, comes across a new town, let them explore it like a sandbox. Let them poke every building that you've built or every NPC. Let them explore the town, see its dangerous sides, its good sides, make some allies, 
And then when they find that quest hook that you've laid there, once they get their teeth into that quest hook, that's when you can use more of the railroad style of DMing to send them down the path of that quest. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to give them as much to look at when they are searching for the clues to your adventure hook. Mm -hmm. Josh? I mean, I think you answered that question well, you should Very throw well. your like, sense in. I don't want to take I, I, the whole time. I mean, I, I, again, and, and I, I kind of I agree with you entirely. Like, use both. Um, I, and, and also consider you can change very abruptly between the two. Sometimes I'll railroad to introduce a set piece. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, these grand set pieces elements that manifest before them where i'm describing a lot of things occurring around them and then abruptly all of a sudden it is then sandbox after that right like yeah. you, you you just kind of phase between the two um i will say there is a part with railroad where i think it's easier to fall into railroading much harder or in a bad way than it is to I fall will into say, sandboxing in a bad way. Yes, the stigma yeah. around railroading is that it's always bad. Or, oh, my DM is railroading us in this campaign. So that usually is taken as railroading is something you shouldn't do. Yeah. Or it's a negative. That is not the case. It is very not true. Um, Most of your party members won't realize they're being railroaded. Yes, that is the key to railroading successfully, mm -hmm. is do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're forcing them down a hole. Make it seem like it's the right call. Yeah. Or their only option, honestly. Like it, is... doesn't need, it doesn't need to be the fact that you won't let them do anything else. It could very well be, this is the only thing that there is to do. If the stakes are right and the information has been presented to them properly you won't have that problem because yes. they'll know to go there on their own. Your players are smarter than you think they are. Yeah. No matter how dumb they act towards every NPC you throw at them or how many buildings they burn down on accident, they are and a good collection of minds. There is also the element of, Sean touches upon this, a lot of your players are very good. Some parties are also going to make up excuses for themselves or not be they're going to lean one way in perspective or want you're going to get a group that only wants to sandbox and doesn't care anything about your story you're going to get a folk that needs railroading otherwise they just kind of stand there with their heads cut off so gauge who you're playing with as well and cater to their play styles and then eventually like if you're hating what you're dming consider who you're playing with and, and make adjustments there because it's a group game right like it's not entirely mm -hmm. on the dungeon master yes you are absolutely responsible for guiding them and using these tools and elements, but also certain people are going to bring certain biases or play styles to the tabletop. You can't yeah. do anything about that. And I think another thing about railroading is a lot of the times where DMs feel like they have to railroad people is when they have that player that wants to just explore their backstory. Mm -hmm. That's when you're like, well, you have to do this. I've got plans for your backstory somewhere down the line. But here's the line. You have to follow this part of the line to get to the next part. And they don't usually go for that. Or they're more interested in like, oh, I need to talk to people in town to see if they've seen my father. It's like, well, no, because your father disappeared 70 years ago on a different continent. Why yeah. would he be here? You son of a bitch. I'll kill you. <laughs> Anyways. Don't be that player. <laughs> don't be that player, please. Please. <laughs> As a DM. 
Don't be we're, be- we're begging you. As two world builders, mm-hmm. I'm just a man sitting here in a bar telling you to stop building shitty characters. Well, we, we've said this before. I, I've certainly, I will go on the record saying this. Your backstory should inform how you w- interact with the world around you. And your DM will work with you to explore that further and help you develop. But yes. it should not be the impetus for you interacting with the world. For you yeah. progressing your adventure. It's going to be a problem. I feel like I've gotten us off on a bad tangent of yeah, we're, railing we are against gonna, backstory we're people. Gonna, yeah, and backstory is great. You can backstory have is fantastic. Pages. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Use it to inform your character's decisions. Yes. Okay. Cool. Are we doing another question? Yeah, yeah. You want me to ask another one? Sure. When designing a world, both geographically and sociologically, what's the best way to balance realism versus fantasy to maintain suspense of disbelief while still keeping things interesting? Huh. Suspension of disbelief. So when do you go kind of wacky, crazy, big set piece as opposed to more realistic um, kind of intrigue? grounded elements i don't do grounded elements and that is because my mind is weird and logical but enjoys magic so it makes magic and these weird supernatural forces make sense in the setting it makes sense in the world the magic works in conjunction with other things Mm -hmm. um so if you want this high fantasy setting to be realistic then you need to think about the logic of your magic you can't just say a thing happened and it does you need to think about how the magic where the magic is coming from like how it interacts what's the source of it um how all that stuff sort of bleeds into the functioning of that non-realistic thing to ground it in reality honestly it's why world building is so important is establishing the reason and logic behind things so that you know when it's applicable and so that you can construct the world around your players so that when something seemingly crazy happens happens in a way that is understandably crazy given the rules of the universe or is 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 I, there has to be reason behind everything yeah um otherwise you're going to get players that are going to start punching holes in them um in what you're doing even if it is a crazy element you can do insane things but there has to be purpose behind it there has to be some sort of lore or rule behind it also i don't know i i i like intrigue writing um and so a lot of my stuff is is more oriented around six like kind of these like less magical less fanciful things mm-hmm. more the big reveal comes from a character doing so and so right like that pops yeah. on the stage after a bunch of build-up then the magic element is a tool magic is a tool your gods are a tool for these people in the world your god's a tool yeah yeah he is but like you know like I, there would be no reason to adventure if people could just instantaneously change problems and if magic was the answer to everything. So uh, there's these big plots 
these big set pieces should be set pieces they shouldn't be dramatic world changing things that anybody can just seemingly have within their reach right and and limiting certain things depending on the type of campaign is important like the influence of your gods and the reach of them like you see matt mercer to speak of critical role locks his deities behind a wall I like that, that can't be crossed and he does that intentionally that is very 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 intentional because if the gods were able to spill into his world a lot of stuff would just be meaningless and pointless yeah so what does that reach look like we've talked about pantheon in episode three and we talked about how their influence is, is restricted in certain ways and that's important mm-hmm I so, think also, yeah. sorry, uh, yeah. another way to sort of almost hide magic in your world is to make things look like what they experience in real life. Like you can have elevators. I know Taz is against that, but or Taz is for that. That's a huge example of uh, people using elevators in D&D. Um, mm-hmm. Or like you can have self-driving carts. Those are just cars. Or you can have, yeah. like, a metal animal that's a golem or, like, a artificer's, you know, sidekick. Those are all things that clearly look like something you could see in science fiction, but is also very f- able to be described as something that's in fantasy. Um, also, know. have your NPCs play by the rules of the game. Yeah. If you have a particularly powerful NPC that you want to be your BBEG stat block it make a character sheet for it because then they're functioning within the same confines that the characters are functioning in a lot of your bad guys can work within those those elements or stat block it as a monster like and and consider the mechanical elements of it because then your players from a metagame perspective are not going to question the um the rules of magic the rules of magic yeah it's already there no you're fine i also just for disclosure i think uh low magic settings are fucking boring and i would never play in one Hmm. but that's just me that's my personal preference coming into the game so you know it's okay if you say well i don't know how to do the fantasy side of things and i really don't enjoy it so i'm just gonna not do it that's totally viable it's a very weird D D campaign there are also things that don't need to be role-played Sean and I are heavy role players and the people we play with are heavy role players so we role play a lot. We don't role play going to the bathroom or buying groceries. You don't. In, in Conundrum Company, well, that's true. Sean spends a lot of time with Rigby on the toilet but let's not get into that. Um, he has indigestion. <laughs> but like, even so again, I'm doing the Saltmarsh campaign with Conundrum Company and there are elements to running a ship day to day. I created an NPC to do a lot of that for them behind the scenes because that shit is boring. So even if you are going for that realism, create a mechanic or a system in the game that is controlled by you predetermined that adds that realism without the players having to do it. That's a really good thing to do. To put what Josh said in layman terms for people like me, it took a few minutes to understand what he said. (laughs) Basically, no, you're fine. You're smarter than me. He put an NPC in our campaign to take care of the realistic things that 
we clearly need to do on a ship, but that no one wants to do because it's not fun. So he put Oceanus on that ship to have the characters visualize realistic things happening and taking place without anyone, including Josh, needing to even think about them. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect solution to that sort of problem. Wages are paid. Supplies are gotten. Maintenance is done. Like all of yes. those things without asking the players to do it. And all that all that sort of dictates is at the end of the seven-day period, Josh would be like, okay, you spent this much on this. Yep. And like, okay, cool. We're done. Here's the money. And that's <laughs> how you do it. it. It's perfect. It, it keeps the realism, um, but allows for fun. Yes. Okay. Last question for today? Sure. I think Let's we have time one. for one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When homebrewing a campaign, how much do you plan out versus how much do you improvise? Nothing. I plan Everything. nothing. Everything. We're at complete opposite ends of this spectrum. I plan nothing. That's not true. But for you the most part, lot, but... it's, I plan the framework. I have the framework, I have like what I the the path I'm hoping to sort of walk on and I have the ideas for if they deviate at any point from specific places. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I I'm not a good prepper. I don't take notes when I play games and I don't prepare notes when I run them. And I I will say I say everything. That's not true because A you can't plan for everything ever. It's impossible. No, never. Your players will throw you through a loop, especially if you play with people like Sean Parker, uh-huh. who like particularly go, getting creative. So, like, it's really not everything. What you have to do is you have to identify elements that are mechanically consistent and make sure that those are planned. That's what I like to plan out. Again, I like to have my economy sourced. I like to have, like, cultures and behavioral patterns, like, figured out so that I can reference them quickly. I like to have NPC plans so that I can have um, I can have really dynamic and diverse characters that I'm familiar with when I present them to people. Those are sorts of things that I personally like to plan out. So when I say everything, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Because you can also lift those and drop those in. I can say, well, I have this NPC shopkeeper who's going to behave this way and have these items in store. And then it doesn't really fucking matter which store my players went to. They could go halfway across the continent and pop into a store and I could drop this NPC in there and have canonically established that NPC there. And it's got a unique behavioral pattern. It's got wants, needs. It's fleshed out and exists in this world because I've already had a chance to think that through. Sometimes I come up with things off the top of my head. Sometimes I do. But yes. And I want to step back on my answer a little bit and give a different answer that I think better answers the question. Um, when you're homebrewing and preparing your own campaign in your own world, you should do both. Mm-hmm. The more you prepare your world and the more you work on it and the more you know it like in your own head, the more easily you can improvise if the players decide to take a left turn when you're hoping they go right. Exactly. You know, you know what is on the other side of that turn and you can run them through that on an improvised sort of basis while also conducting a scenario behind the screen to get them back to where you want them, mm-hmm. which is one of the best things about uh, DMing, I think, is the seamlessness in which you move the entire world in front of your players. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. oh, shit, they're going down that way. All right, let's just take these guys and put them in that empty room. All right, encounter changed. Yeah, <laughs> now they're in a dining room so. when they get murdered. <laughs> and it, it is, like, again... That's exactly it. Like, yes. this, 
So you've planned for everything and nothing at the exact same time. Right. Really you, shouldn't have a, you shouldn't have a script prepared for what someone's going to say. No. But if you know what they want to accomplish, what they're afraid of, who they work for, stuff like that, you're very quickly able to ascertain what they would say next given a specific question or prompt. Exactly. Yeah, that's you, the sort if of... If you know your NPCs, you know how they're going to respond to things. Know your NPCs, know the world, know the environment they're currently in, and you'll be able to basically run anything that the players can throw at you. Exactly. Yeah, I think that bridging of those two concepts is the sort of the sort of perfect marriage of what homebrewing is. Like, funnily enough, I think Sean and I have the exact same answer. We just come at it from polar different directions. You like come at it like a nerd, and I'm all cool over here, not reading books. <laughs> I'm a dork. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Josh is my favorite person. Oh, well, right that's back not true. Well, yeah, yeah. Careful, careful. Sarah's my my favorite person. Josh is a very close second. That's fair. I'll take. I cut it. out. I cut out the part where it was bad, so no yeah. one heard. It. Well done. Good job. This whole oh, section's getting slashed. I'm gonna get fucking kicked in the nuts. Okay, so on that beautiful note of the imagery of Sean getting kicked in the nuts, I think we're Ooh, done. It hurts. So yeah. So. We answered some questions, but if they had questions... Well, not just questions, Josh, but if they wanted us to possibly homebrew a recommendation or magic item or a creature they had, or they had a question that they wanted us to answer, Mm -hmm. well, where do you think they'd send that? Well, I remember somebody saying, like a really smart, charismatic person earlier this session, saying... Oh, that that uh, guy was not charming at all. (laughs) Hold on, I think think he's still here, actually. Let me go see if I can find him. Where? Oh. Oh, uh, hello there, consumer. It's me, charming, charismatic person. I forgot his voice, but I think it was like this. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> you know where you're going to go, guys? You're going to send an email to loredumpquestions at gmail.com. <laughs> or you're going to send it to our Twitter or Instagram at, at the loredump. At the loredump. Yes, very, mm-hmm. very good. We will mm-hmm. see all your questions, all your recommendations. And if we don't respond there, please know that we have seen them and we will probably respond in a future episode. Ooh, and if and- you'd like us to uh, mention your name, just mention that it's okay to do so in the message you send us. Otherwise, we're not going to mention you just in case you're like, you know, want to keep private. That's fine. Yeah. Respect. Respect. This is the outro song. This is oh, the I love outro this song. It's my favorite this is the song. Outro song. This is the <laughs> end of the show. I gotta go take a law dump now. I'll be right back. Oh, no. I did. It's cutting this too what are you i'm believing the said what are you a cuck all right i'm taking that out <laughs> i held so much i held so much power as the editor of this show <laughs> <laughs>